Welcome everyone to another special episode of Chat, Grapple and Cheap Pops podcast. I am Chris Dredd. I'm here with my main man, JB. How's it going, bro? It gets better and better, doesn't it? Yes, better. We're, we're, we're doing it again. We're off the back of um, of a, an interview with former WWE superstar Santino Marella. Uh, it's gone down fairly well. Such a nice bloke. We really enjoyed it as well. Um, but we're we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it again. Um, we have got uh, another superstar from a different era. Um, but still it's going to be a fun conversation. It might be a quite heart-wrenching conversation at times, um, you know, but we're, we're happy we're doing it and uh, we're giving you something else. And to, it's um, something that ties into our retro theme. It does tie into the retro theme. I'll tell you what, our last guest featured in the last ever episode of WWF Heat, WWE Heat, okay? This guest actually featured in the first episode of WWF Sunday Night Heat. So there's a free for alls was it? It was it yeah it, it was actually a Sunday Night Heat, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Jeez. Uh so there you go guys. No giving no more away. Uh JB, what else we got to tell them man? We're going to tell them what what where we're on, where they can catch us. Well, this isn't my bat and you know it's not. So thank you for pushing this one on me. If you watch <laughs> us on YouTube, here we are. Look at these handsome mugs. Unbelievably pretty. Not so shiny this week, as Chris has asked me already. Um, I'm not so shiny this week. I've changed. I've got to change me bulb, all right, guys? I had a bloody bright bulb in here because I like everyone to see all my lovely shiny shit. But yes, I'll be changing the bulb. But yeah, if you can see our faces, we're on YouTube, Jay. We're on YouTube. We are on Apple. We're on Spotify. We are on Podbean, Deezer, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon podcasts, tune in radio, listen, Tune-in, up. that's it. Yeah, like, baby, you're there, baby. I'm trying my best. We are everywhere <laughs> that we can be. You know, as someone likes to hear about it, we are we are on the bits and bobs. Yeah. We're on the bits and bobs. We're um, on the bits and bobs. Shout out to Bishop every time. Every time, yeah. The uh, the man himself. Look, we're gonna but, we're yeah. gonna get him a bits and bobs T-shirt as requested. He that's needs right. one. But yeah, this uh, this week is, you know, very much another interview. You know, we didn't think we would be doing this at all, really, until we started getting people message back. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh so, yeah, here we are. Um, interview number two for us. We hope you enjoyed number one. Number one was very special. It was very fun. It was something that we both were very proud of and very, very much enjoyed. This one, like Chris said, could be a bit different. You know, it's from a slightly different era. You know, the new generation had just started. So there's a lot to talk about in the new gen- generation. Yes, indeed. So without further ado, here we go. What is up, guys? JB here with Chris Dredd. It is Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops. And we are here with a wonderful guest, Um we thank you for joining us. People will know you as Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Here you are, Mike. It is fantastic to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us. If you don't mind, you know, he is a former Catch Wrestling Association champion. Not a lot of people know, know about Catch Wrestling Association. You know, we're in the UK. We know exactly what that means. 
um, former NWA Florida heavyweight champion, and my personal favorite, this athlete, a former Slammy Award winner. I can't, that one's amazing <laughs> for us. Uh, part of the WWF New Generation, he hosts his own podcast on Fridays at 6 Eastern, 5 Central. He's the host of the Road to Recovery podcast. It is Mike or Duke the Dumpster Drosy. How you doing, Mike? I'm great. Thank you very much for the great intro, and thank you for having me on the show. No worries, man. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure. You know, it's um, uh, 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 you know, as we go back, I mean, I'm slightly older than Jordan, uh, 38 years old, and uh, right, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but um, but I re I remember you vividly. You know, you you didn't really, to be honest, spend too much time in the in the WWF, but um, the time that you spent there kind of um really stuck in people's minds. I think it was one of those ones where um, I actually thought that there was a, a you had a lot more legs you know you could have gone a lot longer and it's uh, kind of a shame I'm sure you, you probably feel the same way right yeah it was just kind of an interesting predicament you know while I was there in the middle of it I was there probably about two and a half years um you know I, I, it's kind of weird you don't feel like you are registering well with the crowd at the time but um apparently I was um, but yeah, I just, I went through a lot of different things there and I, in the end, I just wasn't happy and, and I made some mistakes professionally and, um, ended up leaving and after a short tenure, but, um, yeah, it's interesting now people are looking back with a lot of nostalgia and looking back at that era, especially with a lot of us guys that worked there and, uh, many of us that had goofy gimmicks and, uh, they're looking back with, uh, fond memories and I'm very glad to see that. Well, I mean, sorry to talk about the gimmick, but um, Jordan and I were talking earlier and we're thinking like, you know, the gimmick wasn't really that goofy, man. I mean, um, it, it, as gimmicks go, I think, you know, it, um, we were talking about maybe if, if you could have gone hardcore, um, you know, it, it would have actually been if you could have turned heel and gone hardcore and just been slamming trash cans on people's uh, heads, you know, that I think that would have worked fantastically, you know. Yeah, I just missed that time. I just missed it. When I was there, they wouldn't, they really didn't want me hitting anybody over the head because it was still considered family, family entertainment. Vince had not taken off the gloves yet, as, as it were, to fight WCW. He was still gearing it towards the kids. So uh, he wanted me to be a goofy hacksaw jim duggan slash hillbilly jim character and not a hard-nosed you know tough kind of garbage man guy from the streets which is what i wanted to be eventually i really wanted to turn heel and actually lose the garbage man gimmick and just be duke drosy but uh we never uh got to move in that direction unfortunately it's it is something that we spoke about maybe half an hour ago like did you feel that there was a lost opportunity with Duke branded trash cans? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? They made the foam fingers with all the other guys, the number one finger, whatever they had, but they could have made foam trash can lids and that would have got over huge. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame they didn't do that. I mean, uh, so how did you get into wrestling? I mean, where, where did you start? I mean, did you watch wrestling uh, as you were growing up? You know, were you a fan and who were you a fan of? I grew up in Miami, Florida, and I used to watch championship wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley. Uh, so, you know, all of those guys, you know, the the Briscoes, the Funks, the uh, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, uh, later on Lex Luger, 
all those guys came through Florida several times. Mike Graham. Um, and uh, I grew up being a fan. Uh, then about the time of WrestleMania 1, I was in high school. And my dad took me to see WrestleMania 1 at a local arena where you watched it on a big screen closed circuit television. And uh, during that show, it was just the way Vince kind of put that show on. It was just something completely different, WrestleMania was. And um, especially the hype surrounding the Hulk Hogan and Mr. T versus Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff match with Cindy Lauper being involved. That just really got me. That struck me. And uh, during that time, while we were there watching the match, I just remember vividly at one point I stood up and turned and looked at my dad and I said, that's what I want to do right there. I want to be a professional wrestler. And that's where it started. I, I found a school while I was still in high school. I found a school for pro wrestling. Uh, a local guy had a, a ring in a warehouse named Bo a guy named Bobby Wales, and he trained me. But that's how I started out. That's, uh, I mean, WrestleMania is the, it's a, it's a cultural thing now. It's uh, you know, people make, you know, far and wide journeys to go and see it from, you know, all over the place. Yeah, it's like the Super Bowl of wrestling, they say. It, it is. Yeah, it would feel that way. Um, where did you first start in the indies? What, um, which, uh, which promotion gave you your first shot? Oh, you know, I started... It's funny. I started down, like I said, in Florida. Um, my first match ever was with the AWA. I wrestled uh, when... After Vern Gagne sold it, I believe uh, the Savoldis bought it, and it became the AWA ICW AWA. I believe it was what it was with, and they had Jumpin' Joe Savoldi wrestling, and and uh, Mario Savoldi, I think, was the promoter or something like that. But they came down to Florida, and they still had like Larry Zbysko, Colonel De Beers, Boris Zukov, Sheik Adnan Al Casey. They had all these same guys there still working for him even though it wasn't Vern Gagne's anymore. But I was like an 18-year-old kid, man. And I may have still been in high school. And I wrestled two matches versus a guy named Johnny Blaze. Um, one of them was at the Davy Rodeo Arena. And the second night we wrestled, they did a TV taping. I can't remember. I think it was in Lakeland, but I don't remember. So long ago. But And uh, those were my very first two matches. And then other than that, I worked in Florida. I started wrestling with some local, like, independents, um, but there was a, a lot fewer independents in those days. But I worked with the Sunshine Wrestling Federation, and then eventually I worked with Cham uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, uh, which was the same. It was the Sunshine Wrestling Federation, guys. They changed their name. They bought the name uh, of Florida Championship Wrestling, and I think they eventually sold it to Vince when he made it a, a – you know, a developmental territory down there for a while, but um, it wasn't the same company I'm, that I worked for. It was a much smaller independent, but I did quite a few shows for them as I was building my way up. Uh, that's where I developed the garbage man character. I became the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. I saw I, the Rocco Gibraltar gimmick. That's a great name, man. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I did a lot of, I did a lot of, I taped a lot of my stuff so I could do a promotional package and video and stuff like that. 
But yeah, I was wrestling for quite a while down there while I was still going to college. I was wrestling, you know, part-time on the side, wherever I could to get into shows as the garbage man. Yeah. Rocco Gibraltar. So, um, you say you were around 18. So how old were you when you got into the WWF? Um, I want to say about 25, I think I just finished college. See, I, I made sure I finished college before. And, and do, like I said, during that time, I was putting together tape and everything of the garbage man gimmick. And uh, about the time I finished college, finally, it took me six years. I had I took two years off in the middle and then went back. But um, I had a promotional package put together. And, uh, you know, I walked up to Vince McMahon himself at a uh, TV executive convention, the NADP convention in Miami Beach. And uh, handed him my promotional package <laughs> and asked him, told him I wanted to work for him. That's the way to do it, right? Go to the head straight away. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, I didn't know anybody that worked there at the time. I didn't have any family there or anything. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. And I found out he was in Miami Beach. So I just crashed the convention. I had a friend that was a TV executive down in Florida. He gave me his credentials and I put on a suit and wore his credentials like I was the vice president of Channel 2 in Miami, Florida, <laughs> and walked right in and walked right up to Vince McMahon. <laughs> Do you remember what Vince said to you? Well, he looked at, first he looked at my credentials and thought I was an executive, so he shook my hand, and then as soon as I started talking, he realized what I was there for. And he was very gracious, very nice to me, and asked me um, – the question, the one question he asked me, I told him I had just graduated from college, but that I had been wrestling on and off for about eight or nine years down there in Florida. And he asked me, uh, you went, he said, you went to college. I said, yeah. And he goes, then why do you want to do this? <laughs> That's <laughs> what he asked me. And I just told him, I said, Mr. McMahon in life, you have kind of two routes you can go. The one is kind of run of the mill you know, the safe route, go to college, get a degree and get a nine to five job. And then there's your dream and uh, professional wrestling and working for the world wrestling federation is my dream. And I would like to pursue it. And I would like to work for you. And uh, I think he seemed impressed with that answer. And, you know, he shook my hand and I asked him if at his earliest convenience, if he could look at my promotional package, he agreed that he would. I thanked him and I got the hell out of there. <laughs> and as I left, this is the interesting part of the story. As I left, w WCW also had a, a, a set up there. You know, they had a, a little display of their wrestlers. And uh, as I walked out, Vince was behind me as I walked out. WCW was right. I just walked right by him. I didn't even stop. I didn't give them a promo package or anything. I just let him see me pass them right by. Like I had no interest. So I think that was kind of important in the whole exchange as well. Knowing that, you know, from early on that, that you only had one place in mind and it was the WWF. Yeah, that's where I knew that's where I wanted to go. So, so um, how long was it then uh, after you um, approached Vince and uh, gave him the package that they got in contact with you afterwards. The way I remember it, it was literally like a week later, JJ Dillon called. He was head of talent relations at that time. And he called and they set me up to, to fly me in for a couple of tryout matches at the TV tapings, you know, where they, they had a Monday night raw and it was the Monday night raw. They, they had a Monday night raw where 
Chief J. Strongbow and somebody else were in the ring and they were giving an award to Tatanka at Monday Night Raw. He was still a babyface then. Yeah. And um, I didn't go to that show, but I came in the next night for the next two tapings of Superstars and everything else and had two tryout matches. I wrestled Reno Riggins both nights. He made me look like a million bucks. And uh, they called me and said they wanted to hire me. It's awesome. If I can fast forward on just a little bit, you were involved in, in an angle with Jerry Lawler where he uh, he did hit you with the trash can and uh, the cameras cut away and there was even a sort of a half disjointed apology afterwards, you know, on, on TV for such brutality as in, you know, in their words. Um, how was it working with Jerry Lawler? Jerry Lawler was a uh, pleasure to work with. Jerry the King Lawler is the ultimate professional. And when you wrestle with a guy like Jerry the King Lawler, you don't have to do much. I just remember every night, you know, every night usually when you wrestle, you get back to the locker room and your body starts to stiffen up from all the bumps you take, you know, on the in the ring and out of the ring and everything. Stuff starts hurting. I just remember every night I worked with Jerry Lawler, nothing hurt because I didn't have to take any bumps. He did all the work. He took all the bumps. He had all the heat that he needed. We didn't have to do a whole lot. And, and the crowd was just crazy. They couldn't stand him. So it was it was a blast working f- with him because he was just great. He was great to work with. Um, just I, I remember an episode of Raw. I think you had a match against uh, Mike Bell. Um, do you remember Mike Bell at all? Yeah, I do. Mike Bell was actually my first match. It was on Superstars. Oh, and okay. And uh, that was the one where I walked out. That was my very first match in the WWF on TV. And I walked out and Jerry Lawler said he wanted to interview me with the microphone. And when I walked up, he put a clothespin on his nose to make fun of me because I stunk. Yeah. <laughs> and then I dumped garbage on him, which is what set up That's the whole right. Monday Night Raw Kings Court yeah. thing. But yeah, oh. yeah, versus Mike Bell. Where I screwed up, incidentally, I screwed up my own finish move on my very first WWF match, and didn't oh, the know. Oh, trash en- compactor. And I didn't even know enough to redo it because it was a taped TV show, and they could have just edited it, and I was clueless. So it went on that way. It showed that way, all messed up. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot real fast. I'll tell you that. Uh, that's crazy. I mean, I, I bring up Mike Bell as well because um, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later on. Um, but he um, suffered with some uh, substance issues. Um, yeah. And wrong, uh, unfortunately, dude. yeah, he's, I, I mean, I really like Mike because I mean, uh, I like his brother, Chris, who's did, he's done a couple of documentaries. He did um, bigger, bigger, stronger, stronger, faster. Yeah, and he did one as well, uh, Prescription Thugs. I don't know if you'd seen that. Um, I, th- it's, I didn't. Yeah, it's another one that he made, and basically it's about uh, prescription drugs, and it goes into a lot of wrestlers taking them, MMA uh, fighters and stuff. It's quite an interesting documentary. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I just wondered if you did remember Mike, um, if you knew him, you know, what, what, what your thoughts were on him and stuff like that. I remember Mike very well. Mike was great. He was a great guy. He was real nice. He worked really hard. He came to a lot of TVs and did a lot of jobs. And he actually had some tryout matches from time to time. Uh, But he just never seemed to be what they were looking for at the time. But he was a good wrestler. He was a real good wrestler. Uh, He wore a bit 
too much what they call hot stuff, the oily hot stuff. It's yeah. this hot stuff that you put on it. It turns you like tan red, makes you darker for TV. And some guys used to wear it back then. And a lot of wrestlers hate when you wear that because it gets in their eyes and burns. It's like Ben Gay almost. And he used to wear that stuff by the gallon, man. I'm going to tell you what. But but he was a heck of a wrestler. You know, he he was, he was in that group of guys like Danny or Tony DeVito and, and Reno Riggins. They were regulars because they were good. And, and the office and the other wrestlers always knew that they could trust them to put on a good match and, and you know, not hurt anybody. So. I know uh, you, you wrestled Dwayne Gill as well. Uh, in the yeah, days. a few times. Yeah. Yeah, Dwayne Gill was also a great guy to wrestle. He was very easy. Um, you know, he he and Barry Hart, Barry, what was his name? Barry Hardy? Yeah, I think so. Barry, oh, yeah, Barry Horowitz. No, well. Barry Horowitz. I know Barry. Yeah, yeah I, I know Barry. Say. I know both of them actually very well. I'm just <laughs> messing up Barry Hardy's name. Though he hang out, Barry Hardy hung out with Dwayne Gill. Um, and yes, I wrestled, man, I wrestled Barry Horowitz a, a bunch of times on the road yeah. too. Um, Barry and I are still friends now. We talk through social media and stuff, Barry Horowitz. But uh, yeah, man, a lot of good guys we had the opportunity to work with. It's it's quite it's quite helpful that you just mentioned uh, being on the road. You said before that you traveled with Bret Hart. How, how was that? It was interesting because it was during a time where I was really starting to get frustrated with my with my position and, and the company. I wasn't they really weren't doing anything with me. And, you know, I should have I could have changed it if I would have done things to get myself over. But I was kind of clueless. But I just got frustrated and bitter like a lot of other guys do. But at one point I asked Brett, you know, we were all at a bar one night. and He was by himself. And I just walked up and asked him, well, I told him I was kind of just frustrated and um, was asking him for advice. And he said, he asked me if I wanted to ride with him. So I started riding with him. Um, and uh, that was always interesting. He's a very quiet guy. He doesn't say a whole lot. Um, but uh, it's interesting to listen to him talk about wrestling. Uh, I remember at WrestleMania 12, I had the opportunity to sit in the back seat and listen to him and, and, um, Roddy Piper talk business in the front seat. That was kind of an amazing moment <laughs> for me. I just sat there with my mouth shut in the back seat, just listening to these guys talk. But yeah, uh, Brett was—he was a great wrestler and uh, an interesting person, <laughs> to say the least. Okay. Yeah, there's um, there, like I so said, I've heard a few um, different clips of, from you talking about Brett and, and stuff like that, and you know. It seems like um, wrestling is a strange world. I mean, myself and Jordan, we trained uh, in wrestling for a few years. Uh, we didn't really have any main matches or anything like that. But even being in the business and around the business for a short amount of time, you feel that politics atmosphere and and you you feel the the kind of if people are in with certain people, they're going to get that push. And, you know, it, it really is like that right i mean is there anything you can speak about that because it's a it's a strange world is wrestling yeah there's a lot of clicks and that's where the name the click came from originally with the sean michaels and uh, kevin nash group um you know there was just clicks of people that hung out together and uh, that particular click 
uh, had a lot of power, so they became the clique. But um, yeah, the business in general, and I'm sure it's still the same way, there's just cliques, people that hang out with each other and, and make political moves and help each other if they have power or try to move up the ladder if they don't have power. And it's just always been that way. You know, you got to know how to play the game, the political game in order to make it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't too good at that for a while. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few. Sorry, I was going to say there's a few guys that I think are just too nice for the business. Would you say? Yeah, I've been told I was too nice for the business. And, uh, and that's fine. I mean, if, if, if I'm remembered that way, there could be a lot worse ways to be remembered. Um, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, so it was okay with me. Which of the other nice guys would you say then in the business? Guys that you really got along with and, you know, were just top class guys? Um, you know, I got along really well with Steve Austin, uh, Savio Vega. You know, Savio was great um back in those days owen hart man he was a class individual owen was great i mean i tried to get along with everybody and uh some were nicer than others but uh you know i, I just i just kind of milled around with everybody and got got along with everybody but uh my closest group of friends was usually austin and savio those were the main guys i rode with um and Bret Hart during those couple of years I was there so yeah were you uh, ever un uh, lucky or unlucky enough to be on the sharp end of an Owen Hart rib oh yeah when I first started there they he um it was one of my first tours and I was in the hotel room asleep my god I don't even know two in the morning or something and my phone rings you know, the, uh, the hotel phone, there wasn't really cell phones yet. And the hotel phone rings and I pick it up and it's somebody trying to sell me a pizza from Domino's pizza, uh, saying they had this special late night deal at Domino's buy one, get one free or something. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Don't call my room anymore. And I hung up, it rings again and calls, he starts complaining, listen, I'm just trying to feed my kids and you, you gotta show me some respect. Started making me angry. And uh, so finally I got off the phone, got it hung up, took it off the hook and unplugged it. And then the next day in the locker room, Owen had a, he brought a telephone voicemail recorder with him on the, on the road with the little cassette tapes in it back in the day. And he taped the whole thing and was playing it in the locker room for the guys to listen to the ribs he pulled on me. So, yeah. I was, I had, I had been ribbed by Owen a few times. Yes. That's incredible. Um, did the click, uh, click ever give you any trouble? No. I mean, like I said, I tried to get along with everybody. I, I resented some of them. I resent, resented the fact that they had so much power. And as a group, um, you know, they could be, pretty um arrogant as a group but for the most part when you had those guys one at a time by themselves hanging out they were cool they were cool guys uh even sean michaels to a certain extent even though he was kind of a dick back in the days self-admitted too he admits it yeah. yeah but um i still could hang out with him i would hang out with him and 
and Scott Hall and other guys at the bars uh, and have a good time. And we always kind of try to look out. The boys always try to kind of look out for each other. Um, you know, you kind of got along and made your way. But there was a lot of resentment in the locker room and in general uh, over the click. But I never had any problems with them. I got along with those guys. Um, can you tell us quickly about the, the time that Sean had your back after the match with uh, the one, two, three kid? I heard a story about that uh, where he backed you after you, uh, sti- well, you receipted uh, Mr. Waltman. Yeah, we were doing this weird tag match. You know, sometimes they just didn't know who to, they didn't know what to do with certain people and they would just stick together these, it was a six man tag. It was me and the Bushwhackers versus Isaac Yankum, one, two, three kid and Leaf Cassidy. Of course, Isaac Yankum became Kane and Leaf Cassidy was uh, Al Snow and Sean Waltman was one, two, three kid. Anyway, we got in there and we did all these spots and, you know, I was taking painkillers and kid was taking whatever pills he was taking. So we were both pretty fired up in there and he got to the point where he was taking over some heat on me and he started throwing these kicks, these karate kicks and stuff. And he was laying them in pretty hard. And, uh, you know, I just kind of started laughing and I ended up kicking him in the face and it it wasn't exactly a receipt per se. I just got all fired up just like he was all fired up because at another point I was laying in stiff chops on freaking Isaac Yankum on Kane (laughs) and I chopped him so hard. He just looked at me and I had him in the corner and I was hitting him wham, wham as hard as I could hit him. And he just said, Duke, stop. (laughs) (laughs) And I put my hands on his chest and I put my head down and I started laughing. And I looked back because I was waiting for one of the bushwhackers to throw a one, two, three kid out of the corner so we could do the little reverse do do thing. And, but um, it was just a crazy night. Anyway, we got back to the locker room and the kid's face is, he's got blood coming out of his mouth from where I kicked him. I was basically mafia kicked him in the face. And uh, he, I was sitting there taking off my boots and Sean was sitting right next to me and he walked in and looked at Sean like with blood in his hand and Sean goes, well, I guess you shouldn't have kicked him so hard. And I was absolutely shocked that, you know, in some weird tiny way, Sean Michaels actually had my back in that conversation. You know, you never would have expected any click guy to not be fully behind another click guy, but Sean saw it. I'm sure he was out watching it and he saw it, you know, you know we were all kind of getting loosey goosey in the ring and hitting each other. And, the kid hit me and I hit him back. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how it ended, but yeah, it was a funny story. And I also told out at some point, I don't know if it was that same night, but one night while we were doing that same match, the kid crapped his tights and, uh, I thought he threw them away, but I don't think he threw them away, but he put them in this little garbage can so he could go wash them later. But you know, that was kind of a common thing, man. I don't think anybody who's ever wrestled, in the business for any long period of time has probably had a night where they crapped their pants in the ring. So it happens, especially in those days, they had those nasty protein drinks, Metarex protein drinks, you know, they're not, you know, like they are now, they're a lot better. But back in those days, it was like drinking, they called it fart powder. Cause it's just, that's all it did was gave you the craps and made you fart. But, um, you, you know, it, it was kind of a common occurrence. Sometimes guys would 
crap in the ring. It's happened many times. So, sure, um, Sean Walkman actually said afterwards though that you were actually really good to work with in the ring, uh, and you 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 know just really good in the ring. So it was like you say, it was one of those times when you were both just fired up, and yeah. um, you know sometimes shit happens, you know, literally. Um, yeah, especially when there's painkillers involved and <laughs> you don't feel nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about the um, protein shakes as well, did you, you know, Jordan and I on our podcast, um, we mentioned Ico Pro quite a lot. Did you ever try any of that stuff? Did you have any Ico Pro? No, it was, it was, it had just ended before I got there. I mean, they still had some of that. I, I remember seeing like Lex Luger still had some of those Ico Pro something bars or something. But that was very short-lived. I mean, that company <laughs> ended. He ended that thing before I got there. Um, and I heard, by all accounts, it wasn't very good. So I don't know. Uh, you know, Vince, that was Vince's delving into the supplement world. But um, we were all using Metarex at that time. And uh, I was using this stuff called Myoplex. They were all the, in, the, in the pouches, the meal replacement shakes. But uh, they were still at a very early stage of development, man. They weren't all that great, um, you know. But a lot of guys were using them. They were, you know, trying to get extra calories and extra protein in. So on the road, uh, you feuded with Triple H uh, for a for a period in uh, in WWF. Could you sense that he was going to go far, or was it he was still too early for him at that point? He was a good. Re- he was great to work with. He's a heck of a wrestler then and now. And uh, um, you knew he had a good head on his shoulders. He wasn't a partier. He never does drugs. Did drugs. Never drank a drop of alcohol. <clears throat> you know all this stuff with Stephanie happened later on, um, and that is what it is. But uh, he was already very serious about the business even back then. Now, of course, he was a member of the clique too, so he had it a lot easier for a period of time. Now, there was also a time when he was being punished after the curtain call, but uh, as a worker, he was great. Uh, he was willing to do whatever I wanted. He would try. He would try new stuff. He never complained. I slammed him all over the place, and he took it like a man. Uh, I beat the crap out of him, and he was cool. Um, so I got to hand it to him. He's a very tough individual and a really great worker. So, yeah, he was fun to work with. Um, we On this podcast, we, uh, as you can probably see from behind me, we have a lot of memorabilia and mm-hmm. uh, things like of that nature. So I just wanted to pull something out and show you. Um, so we've got the WWF Wrestling Magazine from yep. back in the day. And Program, so... You can see this chap just there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there we yeah. go. Yeah. Duke the dumpster. I mean, Mike, you had the look 100%. You're a big guy. You could work well in the ring. Um, like I say, I mean, some people might have thought the gimmick was was hokey or whatever, but I thought it was a pretty good gimmick, man. And as we said before, you know, you just missed that kind of that hardcore era where, you know, the trash can, the man with the can, you know, it, it yeah. was just, you know, it was such a shame, really, I think, that you just missed that boat, really. Um, 
it's um it's one of those things where you and as i said before we remember it fondly because it's a very vivid character um you really did have that look you're a really big guy um did you spend a lot of time in the gym i know it's probably a stupid question but um you know yeah we all did we did spend a lot we all spent a lot of time in the gym um you know, you always wanted to improve yourself. And there was a period of time that that picture you showed me when I still had the light colored overshirt, I came into the WWF over slightly overweight. You know, I, was, I had a lot of fat on my body. But then at one period, I decided one period of time, I decided to get serious. And I started training a lot with Bob Holly. And we would work out at the gym for like two hours a day uh, while we were on the road. And I got in really good shape up until that point where I wrestled Triple H at the In Your House pay-per-view. When I wrestled him, I was probably in my best shape. I got in really good shape. But then afterwards, I realized they weren't doing anything new with me, and I just got really frustrated and uh, made the biggest mistake you could make. Uh, I just I quit working out, and I, I just didn't care anymore. I got angry, and uh, it's the worst thing you can do, man. It's... It's the entertainment industry. You gotta be able to handle, you know, rejection. And that's how that happens. You know, there's gonna be promoters that promise you the world and don't come through over and over and over again. You just gotta keep working hard, keep improving yourself in the ring and physically and your look and have a good attitude because one day your shot will come if you just keep working hard and you're, you know, that if you have, the it factor. I mean, if I if I was there during the Attitude Era, I guarantee you I would have been a bigger star because they started turning guys loose on the microphone and and allowing them to be more of themselves. If they would have done that with me, I guarantee you I would have got over. I guarantee it. So that is where I made my mistake. Uh, and it took me a while to realize that. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, I also developed a pretty nasty drug problem. So and during the during the Attitude Era, they stopped drug testing for a while. And that's when a lot of guys started dying. And uh, I may have ended up being one of the dead guys, you know? So I, I've looked at it that way as well. But yeah, I missed the Attitude Era. I could have been a hardcore wrestler uh, and all that. Um, I never really thought about going to ECW after I left WWF. Uh, I just didn't see it as an option for me. You know, we, at that time, we really didn't respect what they were doing there. Um, but it did get very popular after that. But um, I just didn't see myself going there, which was probably a mistake as well, if, if Paul Lee would have even wanted me to go there. But, yeah, you know, a lot of things happened. And then a lot of people say everything happens for a reason or whatever you believe. Um but I'm still here now, and I'm happy with where I'm at now. Um, it took me a while to get here. I was one of those very angry, bitter wrestlers for a very long time. Uh, most, mostly it was the time I was on drugs. Uh, and when I got a clear head and got off all that crap and I realized a lot of it had to do with me and my choices. And, uh, and I accept that, man. It is what it is. Um, I don't have any – I don't hold any grudges on anybody on Vince McMahon or anybody else, you know, uh, it was all, it, it was all on me. Uh, and I enjoyed the time I was there. I had a blast 
like I said, I got along with everybody. I always tried to make people laugh. I took a, I took a lot of pride when I could make guys like The Undertaker and Yokozuna laugh because they didn't laugh at much. <laughs> and uh, I just had a fun time, man. It was fun. Well, I was going to say, sorry, Jake, talking about The Undertaker and Yokozuna, is there much you can tell us about BSK? BSK was basically a group that kind of formed out of anybody who wasn't in the click for a while. You know, it's funny. Anybody who wasn't, there was a lot of guys that weren't in the click that hated the click. But, you know, like Undertaker and Yokozuna. Yokozuna is the one that started the name. And, um, you know, at one point, a lot of us were considered to be in the group. Um, but you saw the core group of guys when they came out recently in support of The Undertaker retiring. That's the true BSK group, that group of guys. You know, Undertaker, uh, Yoko, when he was still alive, The Godfather, Savio Vega, The Hog Farmers. Um, I don't remember who else was there. But yeah, that group of guys that was in the ring, that was them. Um, there was a time when there was more of us. Owen Hart was in it for a while, and he got us all hats made. We had hats, BSK hats and stuff. And But it was just kind of a response to the click, but it wasn't a very serious – I mean, as a group of guys, we were all friends. But the truth of the matter is Undertaker, Yokozuna, all those guys, they're still going to do business with the click guys. Sure. I mean, that's where they're going to make money. You're going to wrestle Shawn Michaels. You're going to wrestle – Diesel, Kevin Nash, you're going to wrestle Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, because those are money guys, and uh, they still work together. It was just kind of little, they created their own little clique of guys, is the BSK group, and it grew into a much more serious and bigger thing as time went on. I mean, I was already gone by then. All those guys started getting BSK tattoos and everything, and they got a lot more serious about it, but it really wasn't, I wouldn't say it was against the clique. Because, you know, they were always going to work with the click. The, the click was money, man. You worked with them semi-main, main event. You're making money. Do you think it started kind of as a rib then? <laughs> well, you know, we, it was just, we all used to play dominoes in the back of the bus on the European tours. And, uh, you know, they call that playing bones when yeah. you play uh, dominoes. And that's just, a, you know, Yokozuna came out with the name one day. I thought it was Bone Street Killers first, but then they changed it to Bone Street, Bone Street Crew with a K for crew. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just a cool group of guys. We all had fun and a, a blast together. What can you tell us about the uh, night on Raw you wrestled Vader? Good God. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, Big Leon, man. He's a big old teddy bear. Uh, I knew he worked stiff and I was expecting it. Um, you know, I certainly wasn't intimidated or scared of him in any way. Uh, it was interesting. We had the conversation before the match going over the match and, um, him and Jim Cornette did not want me to slam him, body slam him. And which was kind of strange to me because I was as big or bigger than he was. I mean, I wasn't as big around, but I was as big and strong as he was. I could have picked him up without him helping me. Um, 
<laughs> which would have been interesting. But uh, we got out there, and he started throwing them freaking haymakers, man. He started hitting me in the head. Bam, bam, bam. And I just remember I was in the corner taking these shots. You know, I had my teeth. Uh, I was gritting my teeth because I knew he was going to hit me. And he's hit me, and all I'm thinking is, I'm going to hit you back. I'm going to hit you back. I'm going to hit you back. And as soon as we got out of the corner and did this thing, if you watch it on YouTube now, he throws me off and we do something. He reverses me or something. And I come off and I just kicked him. I was supposed to kick him in the stomach, but I kicked him right in the balls. And he let out this squeal. It was like, oh, he made this high-pitched noise. And we did this spot where we went out over the top rope. I hit him with a clothesline, and we went out, and his mask started coming crooked and coming off. And he just got really worried, and he goes, please don't take off my mask. Don't take off my mask. I wasn't even trying to take off his mask. I was just hitting him stiff like he was hitting me, and his mask started coming off. But um, he changed really quick when I started hitting him back. You know, you hit Leon would get excited, man, and he would start firing up on you and hitting you. But if you hit him back a few times, he would calm down. I think Stan Hansen used to do the same thing. Stan would hit him back and calm him down a little bit. But he was a good guy, man. Leon was a good guy. Um, you know, Bill Watts, I think, no, Ole Anderson or Bill Watts once said that the Steiner, the Steiner brothers killed the mystique of the Road Warriors. Well, I think Paul Orndorff killed the mystique of Vader in that freaking locker room fight they had because when vader got to us man he was kind of meek and mild you know he he wasn't bullying really bullying anybody i mean he would try to bully some guys in the ring especially the enhancement guys but he was a big sweetheart in the back you know very calm and quiet and you know, Sean, I remember Sean got really mad at him and yelled at him and made him feel bad. I think he almost started crying when Sean screamed at him in the ring that time and told him to move and scream. I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. So this big monster Vader was just reduced to this, you know, crying heap of a man. And But he was a nice guy. He was a really nice guy. Um, you know, it was unfortunate the way they treated him in the WWF because they could have done a whole lot more with him. It's just some guys don't like you to hit him hard. And uh, Sean was one of those. And he grabbed Sean and jerked him around by his hair and beat on him, and Sean didn't like that. So that kind of killed him. That killed him off. And then he started gaining weight really bad, you know. And when you start gaining a lot of weight, they, you know, Vince doesn't like it, you know. And they start worrying you're going to have a heart attack in the ring, so. But that was the Vader situation, you know. He was a great guy. He just, you know, they didn't use him right. And then I think he just got, a, he got, you know, just depressed about it and started gaining weight. So. I mean, uh, we're talking about Vader getting depressed and stuff like that. I mean, how, how do you, I mean, can you talk to us a little bit about what happened to you at the end of your WWF um, tenure, you know, when, when things started to get a little bit on top for you? Yeah, I mean, there, there was a there was a time where I started using drugs a little bit, you know, to get by because it does, it take, your, beating, your body takes a beating. But uh, I got a serious back injury when I was wrestling Triple H. We were doing a lot of house shows building up to the pay-per-view and I took a spill out of the ring one night in the Meadowlands Arena and fell to the concrete floor and really hurt 
my lower back, my spine. And um, I really started taking a lot more drugs. And it just got worse. You know, I was taking more and more drugs. You take drugs to get out of bed. You take drugs to go to the gym. You take drugs to get in the ring at night. And then you take drugs afterwards when you go to the bar and drink alcohol too. Um, and it just got bad. And like I said, I got really just um, frustrated with the fact that they weren't doing anything with me. And uh, instead of doing anything positive about it, I just got more negative and did more drugs. And eventually they sent me home. And I went home and really, really went off the rails bad and did worse drugs and drank a whole lot more alcohol and did stuff like cocaine. And it just got crazy. Um, you know, I'm lucky to be here. I really am. I there was many times where I could have been dead. So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be here because a lot of other wrestlers are not here anymore because of the drugs. Jordan, have you got any more questions to ask about the uh, wrestling times? Uh, yeah. Um, did WCW ever call you after you left? They didn't call me. I went there. I just walked in on a Nitro one night. I just crashed. I just walked into the locker room like somebody brought me in, but nobody did. And <laughs> and it was funny because they were all being real nice to me because they all, I guess they thought somebody brought me in, but nobody did. And, uh, J.J. Dillon came up and gave me his card and uh, told me to call him. And um, I ended up getting a tryout match. But by the time I got the tryout match, everybody realized nobody had called me and brought me in. So everybody started treating me much differently. They weren't so nice anymore. They were all stuck up. And a lot of them were assholes. And that's okay, too. But, uh, you know, I was still on drugs. I was... I, I was pretty big. I was lifting weights and I was in decent shape. But uh, I just don't think Eric Bischoff was interested in Mike Drosy or Duke the Dumpster Drosy or the Garbage Man or any of it. He just wasn't interested. He had the NWO thing going and, you know, he just wasn't interested in me. So it just didn't work out. So um, after that as well, you went back to WWF for a dark match on Raw against Paul Diamond. Yeah, it was right at the same time. I mean, it was like there was a week or two apart where I went to WCW's tryout, and then I went to do WWF's tryout. And, um, yeah, I wrestled. They made me try out again, WWF. I worked with Paul Diamond, and then the next night I worked with uh, Pierre Lafitte, PCO. Yeah. Um, but it was just interesting they made me try out again. And, um, again, I was on drugs, and I just – what I had done is – it's interesting. I asked Bret Hart and I asked Austin what I should do when I had both tryouts. And Bret Hart told me to do both. He said, do both of them. That's the professional thing to do. And Austin, Austin said, no, do one of, pick one, the one you want to go to and do that one because these are very vindictive people. And if you do both, they'll both probably get pissed off and you'll get screwed. And sure enough, Austin was the right one but I took the advice of Bret Hart <laughs> and uh, Austin was right. And uh, they never called me back, you know, neither one of them, you know? So I just, that's when I really spiraled in out of control with the drugs. After that, uh, I never wanted to go back to the wrestling business after that. I was just sick and tired of it. And uh, I just never wanted to have anything to do with it again at that point. 
I mean, they did they did eventually call you back again, didn't they, uh, for uh, for the gimmick battle royal? Um, I called them. Oh, okay. I was working in Florida. Yeah, I was working in Florida with this company, and I was severely on drugs, like really bad on drugs, to the point where I had to go to start going to a methadone clinic in Florida. And um, a buddy of mine, Bobby Rogers, called or came up to me at a show, and he said, "You know, they're doing this thing called a gimmick battle royal. Man, you need to call them." because they're doing a gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania and you'd be perfect for it. And so I called Bruce Pritchard for the first time in like two years and or more than that shit, four years. And um, he said, let me check with everybody and see, and I'll call you back. And he called me back and said, yeah, you can come do it. And I had just remembered that I had to get like three days worth of methadone from the methadone clinic so I wouldn't get sick and have withdrawals while I was at WrestleMania because I didn't have pills or anything like that. And uh, if I didn't have methadone, I would have had the withdrawals and got really sick because, you know, when you're addicted to painkillers, you get really sick. They call it dope sick. So that was my WrestleMania experience. I was really in no shape to wrestle. Thank God. All we did was walk around punching and kicking at each other and screaming and yelling and acting stupid. Everybody in there was goofing off in the gimmick battle Royal, but I was glad. And I was happy to get the payday. You know, I think I got, I ended up getting like shit, five grand for that. They paid 2,500 and then they paid me another 2,500 later on. But, um, you know, I was just happy for the payday at that point because I was in no shape to wrestle and I really wasn't trying to get any job back then. I was really, I was really in bad shape. So, so uh, what year was that? It was uh, WrestleMania 17. So what were we looking One, at? 2001 or 2000? 2001. Yeah. So, I mean, um, what, so what happened uh, after that? Can you tell us a little bit more about um, the road you, you were on then? <laughs> I went back to Florida and I was still working with this little company. I had, I bought a ring. I was, I tried to open a school, but I couldn't keep it together well enough to run the school because I was always having to be drunk or on drugs. And, um, the company, I went back to work with, it was the Florida championship wrestling after they had changed their name from sunshine wrestling federation. And uh, I was just so bad on drugs and screwing things up so bad, they finally had to fire me. I got fired from a freaking independent. <laughs> and uh, and that was when I really said, you know, fuck the world. And I went and I disappeared. And I went and lived in a drug house for a while until I ran out of money and I ran out of credit and I ran out of drugs and alcohol and my family had to fly me up to Tennessee in 2000, the end of 2002, to go to rehab the first time. So, yeah, that's kind of how it spiraled out of control. So, uh, so you, you went into rehab about 2002, 2003? That was the um, first time, yeah. The first time. So um, how long were you in there and then how long were you clean after that? It took me all the crap I was on. Before I went in there, I was on freaking methadone, painkillers. I was on Xanax. I was on cocaine. I was on tons of alcohol. And it took me 10 days just to detox. 10 days just to get it all out of my system. And then I went to another rehab for about two weeks. I went to rehab. But uh, they had to release me because I had an ear infection. But anyway, it didn't matter. Uh, I was 
clean. I was physically clean and I was pissed off at how much I had screwed up my life. So I was like, screw this. I don't need any more stupid rehab. I'm just going to stay clean and get my life back together. And I started rebuilding and uh, I became a substitute teacher and then a teacher's assistant. And then I went back to college and got a master's degree and became a teacher. And I was teaching special education here in Tennessee for about 10 years um, or so, maybe not even 10 years, but I was clean for the better part of seven years um, uh, or like six and a half. It was around 2009. 2009, I had a foot injury and started taking painkillers again. That was a mistake. And, uh, you know, the first time I got clean, I was just clean. I didn't really work on it. You know, they took they. They say you need to be in recovery and constantly maintain it. Well, I didn't care about that. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't. I, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with drugs. I'm going to go take care of my life. Well, that's a mistake if you're really a drug addict. And so I relapsed again. Uh, like I said, 2009, 2010, I relapsed. And um, I had a foot injury, started taking painkillers again, and I moved pretty fast. It moved really fast, and I started shooting up uh, intravenously, shooting up uh, morphine, taking morphine pills and cooking them in a spoon, just like a, just like a junkie, like a heroin junkie. And I was shooting up drugs whenever I could get them, because it cost me too much to buy all the pills that I was taking normally. I had to learn to shoot up because it was much more powerful. Well, then fast forward to 2013, uh, my foot injury was a lot worse. I ended up having two surgeries. I got an infection in my foot and I had my foot, I had to have my foot amputated. Meanwhile, I'm still on drugs. Um, I was barely holding on to the teaching job. I was doing a lot of drugs, especially by night. I was out running around with all the wrong people. And one of my drug dealers got busted and, uh, the police turned him, he turned, he flipped and started setting people up, became an informant for the police and setting up people. So he got me to sell him some of my pills and I got busted. And so that was when, you know, the teaching job and everything was all gone. I mean, I've lost a few careers to drugs. Anyway, this was in 2013. The day I got busted was, uh, September the 13th, Friday the 13th, 2013. The last day I actually used drugs was October the 2nd because I couldn't just quit. Physically, if you're physically addicted, you can't just quit. But um, October the 2nd was the day I went into rehab. And I, I knew I was done with drugs, but I had to have help to physically get off the drugs. So I went to rehab and got off the drugs physically. But then when I got out of rehab, the big difference is I was willing to do anything. And I started going to meetings every night for a year. And um, then I had to go to court. Um, part of my plea deal, I entered a program called the drug court or the recovery court. It's a very strict program, man. They watch every move you make. They drug test you like several times a week. You have to go to classes and counseling and all kinds of stuff. And um, it, like I said, I was willing to do anything. So that was easy. You know, once I was physically clean, all of that was easy for me. Um, I was willing to change this time. I had to surrender to the fact that I had no power over the addiction anymore. And when I did that, everything got better.
And uh, I did really well in the drug court program, so well that they hired me. When I completed it in 2015, they hired me immediately. And that's where I work now. I'm a, I'm a peer case manager. Peer, of course, meaning I'm one of them. I've been through it. And a case, I, you know, I take care of a caseload of about 40 people. I teach a lot of the recovery classes now and relapse prevention. And um, I try to help other people now with what I've learned in my life and the mistakes that I've made. And uh, this has kind of given me a purpose <clears throat> to the point now where we got a podcast. Uh, I work with a guy, Avi Klein, and I've got a podcast called The Road to Recovery. And um, we talk about all kinds of different recovery, not just drug, drugs and alcohol, but coming back from difficult situations and finding redemption in your life. Uh, and that's a large part of what the podcast is about, but we also have fun and goof off and play games. And I'm part of a big family of guys, man. He's got Don Morocco. Now he's got Ken Patera. He's got Paul Roma, Bill DeMott. He's got Ray Lloyd Glacier. He's got Del Wilkes, the Patriot, man. There's a bunch of us in this family, in this, in this network and uh, we're killing it. We're doing a live podcast every night of the week. You know, somebody's got one every night of the week and it's live on Facebook and they're doing great numbers. Uh, we're moving over into other platforms and I'm really proud to be a part of this podcast family. And I'm really proud that I can continue doing what I'm passionate about, which is helping people that are struggling out there that, have, that are going through what I've been through. And uh, if in any way I can help them, that's what I try to do. So it's come full circle, you know, and, um, and I'm glad where I'm at now. You know, I learned a lot of lessons from the wrestling business and I learned a lot of lessons from drug addiction in that life. And uh, now I'm applying all of it to what I do now and I'm having fun. I've reconnected with the fans, you know, and it's just been interesting. Like I said before, they're all looking back in a nostalgic way at that time period. And the fans have been great and I'm enjoying interacting with them. I'm not trying to be a rich and famous wrestler anymore. I'm just having fun. And uh, life is beautiful, man. My life now in recovery is a beautiful thing. That's fantastic to hear, Mike, honestly, you know, because um, as you said before, you know, the stuff that you've gone through, um, the life you were living, you could have ended up uh, not being here right now. And um Easily. You know, the, the fact that you can look back on it and you've learned from it and now you're helping other people, it's um truly is inspiring. Um I noticed you from Facebook uh, and that, that you were on there. Um and I've reached out to you to to come onto the podcast via via that. And it's um, you know, we're really grateful that you come on and that you're able to speak to our viewers about what you're doing now. Um and, you know, we, we really we implore our viewers to, to get onto Mike on Facebook. Um, his Facebook is Mike Drosy on Facebook. The podcast is uh, the Road to Recovery podcast. Um, and as he said, you know, um, he always posts up, don't you? You always post up Don Morocco's one, um, Del Wilkes' one. I see you reposting them. It is like a, a family of guys there. And what is it? The it WWAC network, is it called? WWAB. Uh, Avi, Klein, Avi Klein is the mastermind behind all. This Avi Klein used to have a podcast called Wrestling with Anything But WWAB. Wrestling with Anything But is how this all started, and now all of these new podcasts are basically under that banner, and we call it the WWAB Podcast Network. 
and uh, he's doing great things, man. He is he has just been brilliant with the way he has put this together. And th the greatest thing about Avi Klein is he is a really great judge of character. He's got a lot of high character individuals in this group. Um, he wouldn't just take anybody. A lot of people approached him and wanted podcasts that he turned down a lot of big name wrestlers and he said no because in his estimation they were not necessarily quality individuals the group of guys he's got are all quality individuals i can say that i speak from experience because i know them all personally now and uh and like i said we just got ken patera which i'm really looking forward to because he's a bit crazy like me and i can't <laughs> wait to hear his starts on march 1st on mondays um i want to say it's at 6 p.m eastern maybe 7 p.m eastern but mondays ken patera's it's going to be called the world's strongest <laughs> podcast and i'm so looking forward to that because i was such a mark for ken patera but yeah we got a great group of guys man and i'm privileged and honored to be a part of it it's great that's, uh, that, yeah that's 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 brilliant um mike we're we're really thankful that you've come on today um to share your experience and everything like not just in wrestling you know we're absolutely thrilled that you're doing well you're you know you're feeling good it's you know and one thing we'll say about wrestling fans is they'll, they'll never let you forget what you've done in the wrestling business like you know they will they will seek you out try and find you try and you know do their best to you know make you feel good build you up you know wrestling fans i mean i say 99 percent of wrestling fans are like that you know you do get your internet you know jokesters and stuff that will oh yeah give you some but everybody, everybody's been really great like you said and i'm really really proud to uh be back in doing meet and greets and conventions and interviews like this and the podcast it's all great man the fans have been for the most part the fans have been absolutely great and uh, i'm enjoying it i'm really enjoying it and any plans to make it across to the uk when uh, this whole pandemic thing's over Yes, absolutely. I've had uh, different promoters asking me to come over. Um, once the COVID thing is finally lets up and all of this nonsense stops, uh, I just have to get a passport. I got to jump through a few hoops to get a passport, but I, I will be able to get one. I, I am a convicted felon, though, now, so it makes things a little bit more difficult, but I can uh, get one. And once I do, I'm going to be traveling to places uh, like the UK and Europe and Canada and other places to do uh, conventions and meet and greets as well. Well, we, we look forward to that, Mike. And uh, when you get over to the UK after COVID's done, we, uh, myself and Jordan, will 100% uh, come and meet you. Uh, I'd love for you to come and uh, I'd love to meet you and you can sign this book for me, buddy. That would be amazing. I will. <laughs> that would be, be great, to. man. Thank you very much. Like I say, I mean, we're, we're thrilled that you've been on. It's been fantastic hearing your story. Uh, I'm sure our viewers are going to love it. And everybody who's watching this and listening to this, please reach out to Mike. Get onto his Facebook. Um, you can see all the other guys' podcasts, as he's saying. He's got, they've got Ken Patera. They've got Paul Roma. They've got, I think, Glacier is on mm -hmm. there, right? Um, yeah, Del Wills. Yeah, the Patriot, you know, so there's loads of guys on there telling their stories, doing their thing a little bit different. So there's a, a nice group of guys there. And um, yeah, Mike, thanks again, man, for joining us. Thank you. Mike. No problem, guys. Yep. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity and I'd love to come on anytime you'll have me. Thank you.
Mab, we'll take you up on that, Mike. Thanks a lot, man. Right on. Take care, yes. man. And that was Mike Duke, the dumpster drosy. Um, we'd love to, you know, we have to say thank you for to him for coming on. Don't forget his podcast, Road to Recovery Podcast, on Facebook every Friday at six Eastern, which is one o'clock in the UK. And uh, yeah, I, I was that was amazing, amazing story to listen to. It's um, it's incredible because we. As wrestling fans, we know about some of the stuff that goes on in wrestling. But a lot of the time we see these guys as characters. And to be able to speak to Mike and hear, you know, his personal story about how all these things affected him, like in his life, you know. And if you listen to his podcast on and on Facebook, you know, and all the other guys on the network that he's working with at the minute, it's just... um really touching to hear, um, you know, how these guys, what they've gone through, how they've come through it. And um, like Mike, you know, he's, he's helping other people in their lives. You know I mean? What could be more fulfilling than that? And we're just, I'm just really happy for Mike that he's doing that. And just like you yeah. said, Jay, it's, it's nice to hear that he's doing well and, and that he's happy in that man, you know, because that's what counts, right? Yeah. It is, it is you know, wrestling redemption stories, you know, are getting better at the moment. You know, there are more that come along, but there wasn't many, you know, in the 90s, in the 2000s, you know, to even the 2010s, there wasn't that many. There was a few, you know, but... It, was, it was more like horror stories, weren't it? It was yeah. more like, you know, wrestling tragedies rather than the, the redemption stories. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased that there is a, a real redemption story here for Mike and... It's yeah. It's, it's been a. It was a. It was a wild ride listening to him at times. <laughs> I'm going to take him up on signing that damn book of mine <laughs> as well, man. I'm telling you. Um, but yeah, Jay really enjoyed that, man. It was um. It was more than wrestling, you know. In the end, it's um. And I mean, and we love wrestling. Um, but you know that was more than wrestling, and it was just it's it's nice to um do something a little bit different. Yeah, it was. If if we yeah, if we could ever have a tag for it, it would definitely be more than wrestling. This this one was it was yeah there was a bit of wrestling, but yeah it uh, Mike's life Mike's life and and times was was yeah it was it was a really good story to listen to and really and I really hope everyone anyone that's listened that stuck with it and you know listened to the rest of the story not just the wrestling has has enjoyed it and taken on board like everything that Mike said. And uh, yeah, it's like I say, it's, it, it's just a bit different. Normally, we're all just like hyped and crazy and that, but it, it just made us think this episode, you know, and, and that hashtag works well for me, man. Hashtag more than wrestling. Um, it's uh, I don't know if it's an actual hashtag, but if it's not, we're going to make it. A yeah, hashtag. We'll, 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 we'll pick up. We'll pick up that one. Um, you know, we'll we'll take that um, because this was more than wrestling. And uh what what better buddy to to share it with than my man JB? Uh, I'm Chris Dredd. We are still Chat Crapple and Pops, Chat Crapple and Cheap Pops podcast. I'll put my teeth in. Um, and that <laughs> was just yeah, 38 now, you know. I am 38 now, you know. Come on, I'm getting old. That's why I'm feeling the cold. You can see me and Jay both got the Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops podcast hoodies on. There is anyone who wants them. Um, just get on us at, on Twitter and um, we will give you, we will sell you a hoodie. Uh, we're not giving them out for free. We're not made well, of we, money. We might maybe a giveaway here and there, yeah. 
Well, there's a few people that might get one given to them, and we might even do Bishop one that says chat, grapple, and bits and bobs. Um, so we just Working like cross title, out cheap yeah. pops and just, yeah, chat, grapple, and bits and bobs, strictly for Bishop. Shout out to uh, Terrible Wrestling Takes. But yeah, thanks again, anyone, for joining us on this one. It's been a, it's been a roller coaster ride of emotions, uh, but it's been enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, thank you for sticking with it. You know, by all means, hit the follow buttons, hit the like and subscribe buttons. You know, send leave us a comment. Just come and join us on Facebook, on Facebook, on Insta, on Twitter. You know, at Chat Grapple Pops for Facebook, for, not for Facebook, for Twitter and Insta. You know, it's Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops on Facebook. You can't miss it. You know, again, thank you very much for sticking with us. Thank you to Mike for giving us that story as well. Um, and that's all. That's all from me. That's all from me as well, buddy. So until next time, see you later. Take care, guys. <laughs>